What's that? I have done that at times. Boy, do I panic and I have to get in a car and race home. And Hi, honey. I know what you want. <laughs> I said, I know what you want. The stuff for the bulletin. <laughs> oh, did I? Okay. Okay.
Hey. How you doing? Okay. How's your, how's your chin? You can have it. Okay.
Good morning. Go over a couple of announcements here. Uh, first four we already know by heart, and today is our communion Sunday. Uh, after the morning worship, we'll wait about ten minutes or so. You'll hear the piano playing, and then we will gather again for the Lord's table. And there will be no evening service tonight. Um, any updates on our missing members? Terry, can I ask you to give a brief update on the Lewises? Uh, I don't have an update on the Lewises other than, no, I don't have anything new, just that, that he was in the hospital for testing. Mm -hmm. okay. But on Tom Roth, he, I, I contacted his daughter, and she said she saw him at Thanksgiving and he's doing good. Okay. The Rathkos, Dale?
Now he had surgery done on his on a couple of toes on his one yeah. foot. Yes, he got a cup to small toe and his second to small toe were riding over on the other two or three uh, most of his life. But they had to break him, I think, and shave him off. Oh. Sends chills up my spine. Yeah. I'm telling you. something to keep in prayer uh, some of our brethren so does anybody have anything else uh, comments uh, prayer requests anything new to offer Terry prayer request but um, the ladies are going to be singing for the program and we're, we would like anybody that wants to to come and our first practice will be Wednesday at 6 30 and the, the ladies for our Christmas program on the 18th yeah. mm -hmm. okay so we're we're getting uh we're getting some we're getting some okay we just gotta keep reeling them in right okay anything else just just remember the less amount of people that we get here the more I have to sing to make up for it and we don't want that okay so your encouragement and your support is is coveted anything else. Okay, then let's go to our scripture for meditation, which is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and it'll be verses 2 through 7. On your pew Bible, it'll be page 1072.
Would you stand with us, please, as we begin our service in prayer? Brandon, may I ask you to lead us in prayer, please? Dear Father, Lord, we just um, we come before you today, and we just we pray for forgiveness for various various things that that we've done. We pray for patience. We pray for your mercy. We pray for mercy and healing for our friends and our family, for all the people who are out sick. Lord, we pray for our brother. Riffle, our other members of the church. We just pray for healing, time with family, Lord, in this this holiday season. We pray mostly for your presence in a revival. We pray that you make yourself known as you've done in the past. Lord, we pray for pray for your influence. We pray for awakening. Pray that you lead us away from the evil that this nation just seems to be heading towards with abandon. Father, we just pray that you, more than ever, just be with us this season, be with our families and our friends, and be with us as a church as we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing. Thank you. Will you turn in your brown hymnal? to number brown hymnal to number 131 131 and while you're turning I just want to have a reminder that there are some batteries in the booth that are rechargeable that are for this device only yes they fit other devices but they were purchased for the church so when this runs out of batteries we can just replace them especially if it's in the middle of a service so if you would if you need batteries let us know but um, th- they're, are they double A, Rachel? They're nine volt. They're nine volt batteries. But um, they're rechargeable nine volts. But they are specifically for this microphone. Just a friendly reminder. Okay, thank you. Number one thirty one in the brown hymnal. <coughs> Oh, 
dismiss him this morning. Deal. I saw his hand first. <coughs> Miss. I saw your hand. I called on you. We were seeing that, <coughs> but I guess oh, we are. I don't think we are. 148. And um, a reason for this hymn this morning? It just seems to bring the thought of uh, the birth of Christ. So, in a few ways. <coughs>
We have a change for our scripture reading for this morning. It's not taken from John 2, it's taken from 1 John 2. And that will be, get this here real quick. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 15, and it'll be page 1899. 1 John chapter 2. When you've come to that, please stand with us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write it to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you do have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning with gladness of heart that you have given us these wonderful scriptural passages to lay upon our hearts, that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and truly the hearts for understanding. We pray your blessing upon this message. 
May it impact our hearts and souls alike. In the name of Christ, amen. You take your brown hymnal again and turn to number 137. <clears throat> 137 in the brown. Okay, we are going to switch hymnals. Piano player says we're going to do it out of the red. It is number... 213 in the red, 213. The red one has almost always better words, almost always, and that's probably why he's changing it. <coughs>
Our scripture text this morning is John chapter 1, first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of human decisions or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Our fathers, we come to this text today. We pray that your blessing will be upon us and your enlightenment that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Teach us through your word. The word is the sword of the spirit. We know what swords do. They cut us. If we think of it as the instrument of a great surgeon, a scalpel, we know that cutting away cancerous tissue or other elements to the body is a great blessing. Because if we don't cut that away, we die. So we thank you for that. We can also think of the sword as a disciplinary action. It goes against those who are opposed to the truth of the word of God. 
were opposed to God. And it is a message that there is a price to pay for rebelling against God. So bless our hearts today, wherever we are found to be spiritually. If we're lost, save us. If we're already saved, then encourage us in the strength of the word of God. May Jesus be proclaimed. and May we do so with thankfulness. In his name, amen. John chapter 1. Of all the gospel accounts that we have of the birth of Christ, this is the strangest of all. It reads more like a theology lesson than as a gospel account. This is because Jesus knew full well that the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke called the synoptic gospels because they present a similar synoptic view of history. They were all written and they were circulated among the churches sometime between A.D. 50 and A.D. 70. But John wrote his gospel about A.D. 85. Wow. Some 15 years after the Synoptic Gospels had widespread circulation and acceptance. Now it's interesting that John was not interested and writing yet another gospel account covering the history of our Lord in the same manner the life of Christ had been covered in the synoptic accounts. He was not refuting those histories, but he endeavored to tell his readers things they might not know and which might have been omitted by the other writers. There's also the truth that John is alone in this. All of the other gospel writers, with the, without exception, are dead and gone by the time John writes his gospel. They all had been martyred for their faith no later than A.D. 70 A.D. John is the lone apostle left alone. Even the Apostle Paul was executed by Nero in A.D. 68. So he's gone too. So John is all alone. He's left alone. And he himself is a prisoner at the Roman penal colony on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea imprisoned for no other reason than the fact that he had been preaching the gospel of Christ. You can read that for yourself in Revelation 1 verse 9. He also wrote the book of Revelation. So what goes around comes around. There are pastors in the countries of the former USSR, in China, and in Muslim countries today who are in prison for the same reason that they're preaching the gospel of Christ. And by the way, it's coming to America too. 
John's unique way of presenting the birth of Christ has puzzled many, many people. Look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. That implies that whoever this Word was, he had a pre-existence in another sphere or realm. He was not flesh. He was not human. He became human. Who was he? What was he? Where was he? Are we talking about an alien from outer space living in a different galaxy who came to earth? If you've ever read Chariots of the Gods, that's exactly what the author proposes, namely that our planet was populated by aliens from another world, a more advanced civilization. But this is sheer speculation and is utter nonsense to boot. There are no other inhabited planets. Man was made in the image of God, no one else. There are others. There's angels and demons and, of course, the devil himself. They function in our heaven and in our earth. And that's why we have wickedness and sinfulness so prevalent. Now, we do not need to speculate about the identity or existence of this one whom John said became flesh. All we have to do is read the opening verses of this chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. First five verses. And in this short text, five declarations are made about the word. Number one, his infinitude. In the beginning was the word. Infinitude, infinite, is not subject to time and space. It transcends time and space. This means that this person, the Word, existed prior to time and space, which are created realities. The phrase, in the beginning, is deliberate by John. He is forcing our minds to recall the opening Verse of the Bible, which is Genesis. 
1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But this is not only a statement of the beginning of creation, but of the infinitude of God because of the way it is stated. God precedes the created environment. He's actually the cause of the created environment. And if God precedes creation, then he himself is not a part of creation. He's not a creature. He's not one who was not, and then he became. There's no conception for this being. There's no birth for this being. He stands at a period in history when there was no earth and no sun and no moon and no stars and no vegetation and no reptiles and no birds and no animals and no man. No nothing except himself. Isaiah puts it this way. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens... He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty. But he formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Isaiah 45 verse 18. And in our text, John tells us, That this person, the Word, was present in the beginning. That is to say, he preceded history. He's infinite, verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. And his eternality is asserted. The Word was with God. Think about that. Before there was a beginning of anything created, we have a distinct person called the Word who was with God, the one we know as Creator, Father of His people. So we have another person, another non-created being, present with God before creation, so not created, but eternal like the Father. Always there, never a time when not there. Beside God, with God, companion to God, never isolated or separated from God, having no beginning nor end. Eternality is defined by the writer of Hebrews when writing of the heavenly type, Melchizedek, who is Christ. He says, without Father, or a mother without genealogy, without beginning of days, or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Hebrews 7, verse 3. Without beginning of days or end of life, 
That's eternality. And none but God has that. Then too, what about the deity of the word? The word was God, writes John. He's with God, okay. But he was God. The, religion, uh, the original language is very strong here. Because whenever the Greeks wanted to emphasize a truth, they did not use punctuation like we do. So no exclamation points or dashes or anything like that. Bold type, no. There is no punctuation in Greek manuscripts. Instead, emphasis was made by the placement of the words in the sentence. So, in our text, the original reads this way. God was the Word. Wow. And by placing the name of God in the dominant position of the sentence, John is saying in the strongest way possible that this one he called the Word was none other than God himself. Fully divine, possessing all of the attributes of God. And it is here that we are introduced to the concept of the Trinity. Without at this juncture referencing the Holy Spirit. But the word was with God. So he must be a distinct person from God the Father. But now we are told he was God. And as already noted, existed before time, before creation. So he's infinite like God and eternal like God, having neither beginning nor end. Like God means he's God. You might ask, well, then do we have two gods? Well, we read from Isaiah 45, verse 18, that God is one. There is no other. Jewish conviction is expressed in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yet those same Jewish scriptures speak of one called the Son of God. Yeah, in the Jewish scriptures. For example, Nebuchadnezzar, in anger, threw the three Jewish servants into the fiery furnace. You'll remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not consumed. And as the king peered into the blaze that he had made, he said, Lo, uh, I, see, I, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. In the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Daniel 3, verse 25. Later, Daniel the prophet tells us, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, nations, men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. Worship in Judeo-Christian faith is reserved alone for God. Joshua writes, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua 24, verse 14. God is one in essence or character or nature. Choose the word you like. This means that whatever God the Father is, God the Son is also, and God the Spirit is as well. Whatever can be said of God the Father can be said of Jesus, His Son, infinitude, eternality, deity, omniscience, all-powerful, holy, that He is sinless, righteous, not three gods, but three persons possessing all the attributes of the one God. Using the full titles might help us in our understanding. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we shorten these, speaking often of the Father as simply God and of Jesus as the Son and of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit. Yet each is divine, each fully God. And John says, God was the Word. And so much so that Jesus could say to Philip, and he did say to Philip, Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, verse 9. The Word is divine. This one called the Word is divine. In other words, God. The fourth declaration about the Word, if he is God, we would expect him to do things which God alone does. Or God alone can do. What about God as creator? So what do we read about this one called the word? Verse 3. Through him all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. Creator. Through him implies agency, that the word was the agent by which God created our world. That's exactly what we discover in the Genesis account. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Verse 6, and it was so. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. Verse 9. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Verse 14. And it was so. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Verse 20. And it was so. Nine times in Genesis chapter 1, we are told that the created world came into existence through the spoken word of God. God said, God said, God said. God gave the word and it was done. Only God has the power to speak things into existence from nothing. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1, 15 and following. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The writer of Hebrews writes it this way, Hebrews 1 verse 2, In these last days he, God, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Hebrews 1, verse 2. It's an energizing word, this person called the Word. The fifth declaration concerning the Word, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. We need to distinguish here between birth and life. And between life given and life inherent. I could say, my mother gave birth to me on such and such a date in October 1943. Well, birth may be the initiation of our existence into this world as we leave the safe haven of the womb, but it's not the beginning of our life. The great debate over abortion in this country is the argument on when life begins. When does it begin? Well, there's no debate. Everyone knows, it's proven by science and supported by science, 
Everyone knows that life begins at conception, and those who say they don't know are just lying through their teeth. It is deliberate deception because to admit this would mean that abortion takes the life of a human being. Yet even so, conception is life given, life produced through the union of sperm and egg to alive cells merging to form a new entity. And John is not saying of the word that he was given life or that life was produced in him, as is the case with us. Rather, he says, in him was life. Words are important. And that life, as he goes on, was the light of men. This does not mean that Jesus is the life in every man. We'd all be divine. But it does mean that he, as God, is the giver of life because he himself is life. Remember what Paul told the Athenians? They were idolaters. Paul told the Athenians that they worshipped in ignorance somebody called the unknown God. Hmm. He went on to explain. He gives all men life and breath and everything else, for in him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, verse 25, verse 28. Or again, in John 5, we have this revealed text. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. <coughs> John 5, verse 21, verse 26. Purpose being, verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Speaking of his own death and resurrection, Jesus said later, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again and this command I received from my father. John 10, verse 17 18. Now, no mere man has control of his own destiny like this. The word of life and light to all humanity, giving and taking as he sees fit, because he himself is light. 
he himself is that light. Oh, and one additional aspect of this that I can't let slide. When we talk of life and resurrection, we think of physical life and death and then resuscitation of that physical life. Certainly Jesus, the Son of God, has this authority, he has this power, but even he does not want us to think of these things simply on the temporal plane. In the same text, dealing with life and resurrection, he goes on to say, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's what he's talking about. And will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. Wow, different kind of life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John 5, 24 and verse 25. Wow, he's taking us in John's gospel to a new concept of life. This is life on a higher plane, isn't it? It's coming out of deadness towards God in our souls to life eternal. It's a resurrection of the soul. It carries this promise. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John 11 verse 25. And in his small epistles, written at or about the same time as his gospel, John wrote this, The life appeared, we have seen it, testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 1 John 1, verse 2. Sounds very much like verse 14 of our text. And this is the testimony of God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Wow. To be conceived and born and to live in this world is a great gift from God. It is. No one should minimize that. No one should play God and destroy that. That's why we oppose abortion. But as great and as glorious as the gift of natural life, the gift of supernatural life is even more glorious. Think of it. Eternal life. I can't even get my head wrapped around that. Becoming partakers of the eternality Possessed by God with this qualifier, God's life is inherent in himself. The life eternal we experience is a gift to us by grace through faith in him who is the way, the truth, 
and the life. John 14, verse 6. Those forgiven of their sin in Christ had a beginning in time, space, history. So we're not God. We're not God. We are creatures. But as forgiven creatures, we shall live forever with him who is life eternal. Now I know you're alive physically. I mean, here you are, sitting, breathing, listening, absorbing, I hope. But are you alive in your soul towards God? That's the question. Well, say, I believe in God. Jesus answers, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. John 5, verse 23. Or again, in John, 1 John 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What kind of life is he talking about? Well, he's talking about that eternal life. Let me give you five outstanding declarations John makes about the word, the Son of God. Number one, he speaks of his infinite, is that he is infinite. In the beginning, when there was a beginning, he was already there, distinct from creation. That's infinity. Number two, he's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He's as much God in that quality as the Father. Number three, he's divine. He's not simply a good man. He's not simply a great teacher of moral principles, as the world thinks of Jesus, but he is God. Number four, he is creator and Lord of the universe, which he made and over which he rules with unrivaled authority and power. Number five, he is the life and light of the world, the giver of physical life, but more importantly, the one alone who can resurrect souls dead towards God and grant eternal life to all who believe in him. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he indicated that Isaiah 9, verse 2 was fulfilled in him. Let me read it for you. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Matthew 4, verse 16. And Matthew added in the next verse, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, verse 17. But rejection of the word by the world, he came to save. Is the universal response 
There's no doubt that this word that John keeps talking about is Jesus, verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And he's certainly not understood. He was not recognized. Our text talks about the world in terms of darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but... Hey, the darkness has not understood it. There came a man from, sent from God. His name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. John 1, verse 5 through 10. You know, I read that, and I'm brought up to the realization that the world hasn't changed much in the last two million years, has it? The world still has no idea who Jesus Christ is. The best they are willing to grant to him is that he was a prophet of God. Even as I speak, people of our own nation are doing their best to denigrate the celebration of his birth. Walmart, Costco, Kohl's are all in league not to say the word Christmas to celebrate the 25th of December. They are running scared of the Muslims who they think will not patronize their stores. The atheists have placed their placard in the capital of Washington State next to the nativity which reads... At this season of the winter solstice, may reason prevail. There are no gods, there are no devils, there are no angels, there is no heaven, there is no hell. There's only our natural world. Religion is but myth and superstition that hardens hearts and enslaves minds. End quote. Some years back, a newspaper in Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm from Pennsylvania. Wrote an article. The celebration of Festivus, Festivus is alive and well in northwestern Pennsylvania. Nearly a decade after the bizarre holiday garnered pop, cultural, pop culture notoriety, on Seinfeld show, residents were preparing to celebrate the festivus for the rest of us. For the rest of us. Friday was a night of airing grievances, feats of strength, and of course, the aluminum festivus pole. 
Okay. We say, well, that's silly. Uh, yeah, it is. But it's not innocent. It's meant to mock Christians who celebrate the birth of Christ by celebrating, griping, complaining instead of goodwill and by displaying of human strength like wrestling in the snow over human weakness and sin and the need of forgiveness and grace from God. All this proves is the scripture before us which tells of the light coming into the darkness of the world and the world did not understand it nor recognize it that one who gives light and life had come to all men. Now, brethren, this is more than blindness in the sense of not seeing or not recognizing the Creator when He appeared. It's not innocent. It's deliberate. Verse 11 states, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John 1.11. That's not a reference to the Jews. It is a reference to his creation, of which all of us are a part. Jesus came to humanity, to his creatures, and they turned a deaf ear to him. But it's more diabolical than that. This turning away from God's Son and the spiritual illumination that he brings for those living in darkness and ignorance is intentional. It's like the atheistic placard at Seattle's town hall and the festivist poll in Erie, Pennsylvania. The rejection of Christ and the life that he brings is on purpose. It is calculated. It is a statement of protence against Christ and a disagreement with his mission. Even a rejection of his existence as a man and certainly a denial of his deity. Jesus himself exposed the raid when he said, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. John 3, verse 19. That's what's going on. Sad to say, this is the state of every one of us born into this sinful world. We come with a bias. The bias is pro-sin and anti-Christ. We love evil, we hate the light of righteousness. Then are we doomed? 
Yes and no. The ray of hope, verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him for all the reasons just stated. Because even his own didn't receive him. Yet, oh, there's a yet. There's a however. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Say, so, well, no, no, wait a minute. What changed here? How can people who love and prefer darkness, who hate the light of Christ and the righteousness that he demands, how can they do an about face like that? It just isn't going to happen. But it does happen. And it happens, says John, because people who become children of God are, verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. That's how it happens. God's light of salvation shines where he chooses it to shine. And even the devil cannot stop it. Paul talked about the spiritual blindness of man when he wrote in 2 Corinthians. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. Oh boy, wow. When did God say, let light shine out of darkness? When did he say that? Genesis 1, verse 3. At the dawn of the creation of the world, when the whole earth lay in darkness, he spoke the word, and Christ shone brightly in his glory. So too, when God speaks, the light of Christ shines brightly for the first time in the unbeliever's heart of God's own choosing. Do you remember Jesus' words as the Father? He says, as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. John 5, verse 21. And hell itself cannot stop it. John's own testimony is in our text. 
says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and the only. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, grace brought to John and the other disciples what their own will could not. The decision to believe was not theirs. It was God's. And God said, let there be light. And the dead came to life and they understood. Faith saw Jesus for who he was, renounced the darkness, and believed. Jesus is the word with the power to speak creation into beings. I love it. And this is why Paul testified, we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 10. That's who we are. Folks, it was not the appearance of the angel of the Lord. or the glory of the Lord shining about them on the hillside. That convinced the shepherds of the reality that God's Savior had come into the world. Now, these things scare them to death. Think about that. Those things repelled the shepherds. Ooh. Didn't they didn't draw the shepherds? What moved them to believe is revealed in the angel's message, which was this. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. <laughs> Not peace universal to all men everywhere all over the globe, in every country, in every hamlet. No. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Luke 2 verse 14. The shepherds found the Savior that day because the Savior found them. Miracles do not convert people to Christ. Herod saw the miraculous star of which the Magi spoke, but with murderous intent, he sent his soldiers into Bethlehem to slaughter all the boy babies in an attempt to kill Jesus before he made it to manhood. But he saw the magic star. It is God who converts sinners and brings them out of the darkness into his light. 
May his light so shine on us today that eternal life becomes our inheritance. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that we would see the glory of Christ. Yes, he came into our world. He came to his own because he was created with a body that he chose to have made for him. The writer of Hebrews describes that in great detail. But even so, even in human form, the world did not receive Christ as the divine Son of God and Savior. They took that human body and nailed it to a cross. They took that human body and killed him. Which shows the blackness of their heart. And how hell-bent they were to defy God and his grace and to reject God's salvation. And if there's any here today that's in that category, Lord, grant them forgiveness as they repent. Grant them repentance unto thee. Repentance of their sin and faith in Christ. Because the scripture says, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in our body. We're going to meet this Jesus who is the word. And we're either going to meet him on favorable grounds or we're going to meet him as his enemy standing in his tribunal to receive the sentence due our sin. God, forgive us our sins. Make us allies of Christ. Make us disciples of Jesus, we pray, for your glory, but also for our good. Amen. Our closing hymn, <clears throat> excuse me, is 213 in Trinity. Okay, so one nine six in the red. One nine six in the Sorry. red. Sorry. One nine six in the red. One ninety six. Okay.
Amen. <clears throat> I think we're scheduled to do. We scheduled to do communion. communion. Take a ten-minute break and come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>